In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hello, Craig's listeners. Craig Kukowski here, the host of the Craig's List podcast. When I began this exercise in podcasting greatness, a mere 81 episodes, I began with a motto, dignity, always dignity. We would cover only the most refined, the noblest examples of cinema, because my parents, Ma and Pa Kukowski, had brought me up on the classics, Truffaut, Kurosawa, Antonioni. They sent me to the finest film schools, and always the motto remained, dignity, always <laughs> dignity. When we began this podcast, we set out to cover and honor the greatest cinema, even if my wife, Carla, did not care for that particular film. The motto remained dignity, always dignity. And for Carla, too, when her quotes, which were sometimes spoken while half asleep or <laughs> staring at her phone or halfway through a bottle of Chardonnay, <laughs> when I read verbatim what she had said during the film, she kept her chin up and kept her motto, dignity, always dignity. What movie is this? <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Are you serious? <laughs> What's happening? It's a, a Dead Poet Society. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Carpe diem? Oh, carpe diem indeed, uh, Carla. Uh, you watched this, you watched this entire movie and I loved did. it and you don't remember the quote dignity, always dignity? No, what is that from? It was from him telling his tale in the beginning to the Hedda Hopper type character. <laughs> oh, of story in when he's being interviewed. Yes. Right. Yep. Hi, Craig's listeners. Uh, we are covering number 19 <laughs> on my list today. This is episode 82 and this is a classic. MGM movie musical, perhaps the greatest movie musical of all time. It's called Singing in the Rain. And you've heard him already. Because <laughs> he couldn't wait for his cue. I told you I was going to mess stuff up. No, you can't mess it up. <laughs> uh, you know him as the Paul half of the hilarious musical duo Paul and Storm. Please say hello to Paul Saborin. Hello to me. Hello. Here's what I took from that story, mm -hmm. though. Yeah. The Hedda Hopper thing was that he was pretending like he was in love with this actress when he wasn't. He's That's put, what I remember yeah, about I mean, the it. whole story was uh, uh, exaggeration slash lying yeah. fabrication. Yeah. That's, there's not much dignity there. Okay. I he's, get it. He's putting on a show for the Hollywood press. I yeah. get it. But that's what I remembered about that. That yeah. was the takeaway for me. Yes. That and also he got blowed up. Right. <laughs> he got blowed up real good. Real good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the idea that he came from uh, dance halls and vaudeville and did not have uh, this high culture uh, background. And that, that he and Cosmo were just dancing and playing the fiddle. Yeah, you know what? Fake news. That's what that was. <laughs> Enemies being, of the people. Being dragged off with a giant cane, as they did back in the day. Yeah. 
You've performed live a lot. Uh, is that still go on? The giant canes? Oh, they've got the hook. Yeah, the hook's there. It's electrified now, and it's uh, it's Wi-Fi. You know, it's part of the Internet of Things, so you Amazing. can uh, have it turn off your lights. Was that ever a real thing, the hook? I honestly, I hope it was. I hope it I, was, too. I have done some deep diving on vaudeville just because the whole world of it fascinates me, like this entirely lost art form. <laughs> Uh, that used to be the most popular thing in America, but yeah. I honestly have never looked to see if somebody actually would reach out a 40 foot long hook <laughs> and pull you off the stage. <laughs> now the Apollo always had, uh, the Sandman. Sure. And I'm sure there were things like that, like just somebody who comes out and shoves you off stage when you're bombing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh. Tomatoes is a thing too, yeah, right? I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Gone are the days when audiences would bring produce. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just occurred to me. I don't know that I've ever listened to a vaudeville act or seen footage or anything. Well, I mean, Abbott and Costello and their routines, especially who's on first. Oh, like that that's came all. Out of vaudeville, okay. A lot of Burns and Allen. When you see those type of comedy routines in old movies, um, they're usually, not usually, but they're often adaptations of uh, routines that they or someone did in vaudeville. Because also okay. a highlight of vaudeville was everyone stole, stole from everybody each other. else's act. <laughs> Milton Berle was famous for stealing everybody's material. Oh, what a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe some of the people who got the most renown were the people who were just the best thieves. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And were the most shameless and most willing to put themselves out there, I guess. You so, guys, we should write this movie. <laughs> I think we might have just started. <laughs> Can we call it The Hook? <laughs> oh! Nice. The Hook brings you back. As uh, what? John, John Popper said. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> a little blues traveler for you. <laughs> the map goes all over the place here on Craigslist, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Isn't it fascinating know. to see how my mind works in person? <laughs> this is the improv mind opened up for you to explore. And I, I honestly could not come up with blues traveler. I was lucky to come up with the name of the lead singer <laughs> yeah. and harmonica player, John Popper. Paul, how the hell are you? You're uh, you're in Los great. Angeles. I'm in so. Los Angeles. I'm so seeing great. pals. I'm taking meetings. I'm doing yeah. deals. <laughs> how many deals? How uh, many meetings? Like, <laughs> got to be at least seven deals. I'm juggling. How many pals? Uh, six pals, seven deals. Nice. <laughs> that famous uh, Anne Heche, uh Harrison Ford movie. Six pals, seven deals. <laughs> David Schwimmer. What was that called? Six days, seven nights. Oh, I think. right, yeah, totally. I am ashamed that I remember that much about oh, that movie. Wow. Somehow more nights than days, which is which is strange. Well, yeah, because you start the night before. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It all depends there's, where there's you. Yeah, you, fly, you fly in at like six, six, seven p.m. and you stick around until the next that seventh, six, seven p.m. All depends it counts. Where, where you start. Do you start with a day or do you start with a night? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Or do you do day four night, which is a movie <laughs> reference? Bing, bing. I can improvise. Woo-hoo. Let's do some improvs. <laughs> okay, hold your horses. We do the improv last. We have like forty minutes to as film. We always do. <laughs> right. before we get to the improv. Okay, I'm just gonna be tapping my foot, <laughs> waiting to get to doing improvs. But this has been in the works for a while. We've been talking about having you on the podcast. We we talked about maybe doing a long distance thing, which yeah, we yeah. could have done, but we always prefer to have the person there I in think, person. I think we decided what movie I wanted to do. Maybe two years ago, at least a year and a half ago. <laughs> but the problem, what you know, you you we talked about it, and you asked me what movies I liked, and when I suggested this one, uh, and I found out how high it was on your list, I it's like you gotta wait, yep. you gotta wait for that one. Yeah, and then 
Carla went away. <laughs> so I had to wait longer. And we have yeah. fell behind. <laughs> but you just happened to be in Los Angeles this week. So, yeah, yeah it uh, worked out great. So thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. It is kind of funny how I went away and that was the excuse for why we stopped doing as much. But now that I'm back, we're still not doing We're it. still on the same lazy ass schedule. <laughs> it's my fault. It's not Craig's. I just can only do one every couple Don't weeks. Don't cover for him. Don't cover for him, Carla. <laughs> You're right. It's Craig. He can Assert only yourself me. for once. <laughs> just for once. Well, we finally wrapped Drunk History, so I got nothing but time on my hands. So we're going to burn a lot over the holidays, right, Carla? Um, <laughs> burn a lot of weed. <laughs> oh, 420 blazing. Yeah. <laughs> Cotton. Talk about six deals. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just made a seven. <laughs> well, I thought you'd be a good fit for this movie because you know music and you know funny. You're a song and dance man. I'm a song and dance man. <laughs> <laughs> Triple threat? I'm hoofed it on the Great White Way. <laughs> no, I am also a huge musicals fan, and this is my favorite movie Aww. musical, and it is one of my favorite movies. I'd say it's probably – I don't keep obsessive lists – uh, oh, rattle, rattlesnake. <laughs> We're going to hear a lot of rattlers, yeah, so okay. just get used to that. Uh, You're in LA now, man. I don't keep obsessive lists the way you do, but mm-hmm. I have sort of a floating top five, top ten, and this is always, certainly in the top ten, uh, depending on my mood, can float around the top five, and absolutely my favorite movie musical. Very cool. Yeah, I think it, it is, uh, AFI named it the number one movie musical of all time and the number five film on the AFI top 100. It was nominated for only two Oscars. Yes, it was. Uh, can you guess what they are, Carla? Best director? Nope. Uh, best picture? Nope. nope. Oh shit. Best actor? Nope. Best song. (laughs) Best cinematography. Well, one of them was for movie scoring, I believe. Okay. Uh, but the other one was for Best Supporting Actress for Jean Hagen, who plays Lena Lamont. Oh, and she's was, great. Did, was and she didn't win, She huh? did not win. Who won? Oh, I, I don't have that before. at the top Hold of my on. head. <laughs> 52. Keep talking while it was Barbara Stanwyck. This was the year of uh, From Here to Eternity. Is that right? If it's From Here to Eternity, oh, then it is Donna Reed won for playing a prostitute in From Here to Eternity. Are you right? Paul's double checking. He's fact checking. And of course, my computer's being slow, so this is really compelling. Uh, Vivian Lee for Streetcar was 52, but that was the year 51, 51, the Oscars in 52. Right. Uh, Right. Best supporting actress. Best supporting actress. No, go the other way. Oh, right. Go the other way. Supporting actress. And I need supporting. Let's all watch me type (laughs) words into Google. You should sing while you're doing it. Best supporting <laughs> actress, hit space and enter, and then we'll find it's Gloria Graham from the Gloria, bad and the beautiful. Gloria Graham for the bad and the beautiful. That's what I said, right? Nope. <laughs> you said something else. The next year it was Donna Reed. That was close, I'm though. Take, uh, take it out of faith. On that. I've seen the bad and the beautiful. Bad and beautiful is a good movie, movie with uh, Kirk Douglas. So another Hollywood satire, but much darker yeah. than than this one. Yes. Uh, but this picture kind of covers the transition from the silent era to the talky era. It does at that. Uh, in the, uh, the late 20s, right after uh, Al Jolson's The Jazz Singer came out and uh, the silent film stars had to convert. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Nope. Sorry, John uh, Gilbert. <laughs> One step back, please. But this covers Don Lockwood, played by total triple threat Gene Kelly, yeah. and Lena Lamont, his leading lady. Uh, but they... They have not a will they or won't they thing. They have totally a won't they thing. Yep. They will not. They will not. Um, 
But they're uh, for publicity's sake. They're being promoted by is it Monumental Pictures? Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, as a uh, as a couple played by Gene Hagen, and then uh, Don is a best friend, Cosmo Brown, a uh, musician and a hoofer his, himself, his best friend growing up, and his dance and song partner. And he has been the the per- he's, he plays the background mood music on set during the silent era uh, for all of Don and Lena's movies. And then works that to being the head of the music department when they transition hey, to the talking era. you gotta fail upwards if you're gonna fail. Yeah. Uh, played, by, of course, by a wonderful Donald O'Connor. Donald O'Connor. He's got the big number, Make Him Laugh. What else has he been in that I would know? That's a very good question. He was also known for the Francis the Talking Mule pictures, what? which were a series of comedies, uh, which I believe predated Mr. Ed. Uh, but Francis the Talking Mule was, was, I, I, I think you can guess what the, <laughs> what the premise was there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a talking mule, uh, and but he he was mostly known for uh, for being a dancer. Uh, he worked. Yeah, there's. I mean, he did a whole lot of movies and a whole lot of TV. So he's a he was. But yeah, a that guy was that was, was really his his yeah. He was in musicals. His big most prominent role was probably Singing in the Rain, and then Francis Talking Mule. Carla mentioned confusing Donald O'Connor with Danny Kaye, which I think is totally when I was a kid. When you were a kid, yeah, that, that's they certainly have a same kind of antic. A second banana. Air, second banana antic air. Yeah. Wisecracker. And then Oscar Levant would be in that same category. But Who's that? He was, he was also like a raconteur around town. Yeah, he, piano was, player. he was more of a, like a suave alcoholic as opposed to Donald O'Connor, who was sort of a jittery speed freak. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sp- Oscar Levant, four packs a day. Yes, he did. Wow. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, uh, Oscar Levant was, p- played the Donald O'Connor equivalent role in An American in Paris. Oh, okay. The previous year. And Sidekick I think, to Gene Kelly. I think was in talks for, for this, but Gene Kelly's like, we need a dancer yeah. for, for this role. Got it. And then a young Debbie Reynolds as, yeah. uh, as Kathy. She's Selden. Best. As Kathy Selden. Uh, 19 years old. Only 19 years old. Amazing. And, and had not, any real background in dance. Her background was in gymnastics. Yeah. And I believe she had some dance because I don't think she could have done what she did in that movie without some sort of dance training, but it was really a, like a fast forward boot camp, uh, lead up to this movie for she her. She did a podcast. I think it was with Alec Baldwin a few years ago, obviously before Debbie she Reynolds. Passed. Yeah. He had a podcast on for a couple of years yeah, yeah, and he yeah. would interview all these like older, actresses like um elaine stritch and stuff and mm-hmm. anyways her f- stories of like how she was discovered and like it was re- she was like 15 or 16 she lived a really thorough show business life yeah and it's just i don't know and like how how much she practiced and how she would go to the studio like it was her school <laughs> yeah and she'd be there from early in the morning until late at night just practicing singing and dancing there was and- a story uh i don't know if it's apocryphal but it's on wikipedia so it must be true that you know she was 19 when she was cast in this and she was still living at home and to get to the studio every morning she would take three buses and have to leave at four in the morning oh my god and sometimes <laughs> she would just sleep at the studio rather than avoid wow. all that extra travel time that's crazy. And she grew up in Burbank and or somewhere in the area. I think yeah. she, I think she was named Burbank. Miss Burbank. Yes, that's yes. right. Yeah. But that must have been the time where the studios were recruiting girls out of beauty pageants. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and then that they'd if they didn't have training in whatever, then they'd get them into training, they'd get them into refinement classes and yeah. uh elocution lessons. Elocution lessons as depicted in this movie. For that mid Atlantic accent. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what what is your history with Singing in the Rain? Did did you watch uh, it as a kid? I wa- I think the first time I actually watched it, I worked in a video store back when video stores were I remember a them. thing. <laughs> Uh, I worked in a video store. This is probably like 84 to 86, that range. Uh, and I had been a movie fan, but didn't have a ton of access to things. But I, I kind of accelerated my viewing during that time because I could get rentals for free. And I'm pretty sure that was the first time I saw Singing in the Rain was I probably took it home then. And I had already been a reasonable musicals fan uh, growing up. I was in band and choir and in some of the school musicals, depending on the how the schedule worked out and had always heard how wonderful this movie was. And, and I just, I love the heck out of it. I mean, I was a precocious artsy kid to begin with. So I was, I, you know, I, I had a bent to uh, be predisposed to like it anyway, but even beyond that, I just thought it was just this wonderful, uh, shamelessly old school, heartfelt, uh, cheesy musical. Yeah. Uh, and I, I watched it. Oh, here's, I, I saved this story. I wanted to make sure I remembered it. In college at Penn State, I had an, it was like an intro to film class that was held in this large auditorium, like a thousand seat auditorium on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And on Tuesdays, we'd watch a movie. And on Thursdays, we'd talk about the movie and the era and whatever was going on that week. And, but anyone could come to the movies on Tuesdays. And it was, you know, the gamut of the history of film. Singing in the Rain was the only movie that was completely packed, and it was the only movie to get a standing ovation at the end of it from a thousand college students. And it genuinely gave me like hope for my generation and the country that like, wow, people can still appreciate great, wonderful art unironically. And, Mm -hmm. and it was just great. I, the the same theater I saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time in a full movie theater. Uh, and, uh, that was the way to watch that movie for the first time that no, nobody gets anymore for the most part. It was a shame. Um, but yeah, that, so that was my, that, so I, that's also, I have extra affection for singing in the rain yeah. because of that experience with it, I think. That's cool. Yeah. I will say this, you know, it, I think it's pretty much unanimously considered the best movie musical. Uh, it's not adapted from a Broadway show. It was written as an original, mm. uh, work for the movie. So I, th- I think that makes it hold up in a different way that you don't have to translate yeah. a stage yep. production yep. and, and find out whatever the cinematic equivalent of right. what you did right. on stage would be. The, uh, the interesting part of it for me though is it holds up so well, even though it was essentially what you, we call today a jukebox musical where the producer, Arthur Freed, had been producing the musicals at MGM for some time. It was under, they called it the Freed Unit. And he was also a songwriter for a very long time. And he wanted to have put together a musical in 1950, 51, uh, with a bunch of his songs in it. And so he called Betty Comden and Adolph Green, who are this writing team, who were together for 60-some-odd years, eventually. Wow. Uh, and everybody thought they were married, including me, until I read the... I learned that this morning, them. as a matter of fact. They were never actually married. <laughs> Uh, but were just these longtime writing partners who would write the mm. lyrics and books for musicals on Broadway and then in the movies. And he said, took Comden Green and said, here's a list of all these songs. Go f- make a story that fits these songs in somehow. And w- while it's certainly like many musicals, there's some songs that are very obviously kind of shoehorned in or don't really have any uh, uh, bearing on the plot. It's surprising how often the songs are fully appropriate to the moment in, mm. in the musical. The only songs, there were a couple songs written for the movie itself. Uh, Make Em Laugh was written 
some say stolen, but from uh, it's I think be it's a clown, Porter's, right? Porter's be yeah. a clown. It is essentially the same song. Uh, be a clown, be a clown. It's it's it, it was stolen. <laughs> well, what are you gonna do? Unconscious plagiarism? Uh, I think it might or be conscious, conscious plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, it's the same uh, sentiment too. Comden and Green wrote that one with a songwriter. I don't remember who, and I don't remember what the second song is. But everything else is just Moses supposes Moses was supposes, written. That's right. was written Thank for you. the movie, uh, and that couldn't have been that hard. No. <laughs> It's a tongue twister. Yes, that one mostly. In the, yeah, the lyrics mostly involved pause while tap dance. Right. Uh, and everything else was a pre-existing song that they found a way to get into the movie. That's great. Here's one thing I think about this is that there's very little fat to this movie too. Yeah. And watching the the behind the scenes documentary that uh, Debbie Reynolds hosts, that's on our DVD, there are musical numbers that were cut too. There was another solo yep. number for Dawn. Yep. There's a, a solo number for Kathy where she's wandering around the back lot and singing yes. to the poster it of book Dawn. Bookended the movie. It was uh, the song "You Are My Lucky Star." Mm where it establishes very early on that she's the president of his fan club. And then at the back end of the movie, when he sings it to her, it brings things around full circle, uh, which is interesting because I've never actually seen the scene. Again, that was another thing I only read yesterday about that. Um, I think the movie works fine without it. I mean, I suppose it would be nice with it in there, but I, I think it works better almost that you don't realize how into Don Lockwood she actually is until later in the film. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that their first meeting, she's turned off by him, you know? Yeah. And yeah. If, if she's like really the president of his fan club, she wouldn't be, you know? Yeah. So I like that. I first saw this movie. Thanks for asking, Greg. <laughs> I was about to get uh, there. <laughs> Never um, good at this horse. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, and I've seen it probably six or seven times, I think. I remember, um, Watching it a lot in high school, though. I really liked it mm-hmm. when I was going through my musical phase in high school. Um, my friend Angie, who was a guest on the podcast, we watched it together a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a genuinely funny movie. Like the yeah. script is genuinely funny and in a way that I think holds up to modern tastes more so than a lot of comedies of that era. I, I honestly think it's one of the funniest films of all time, you know, and not yeah. just in kind of like a cutesy old fashioned sort yeah. of way. I mean, I mean, there's comedy in it that really holds up. Gene Hagen is so wonderful. Yeah. Every line, she's just, you know, she's a pro just <laughs> dropping bombs. I make more money than Calvin Coolidge put, put together. together. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It did, there were moments where I felt like it would, it could be a modern comedy. Like it did translate in that way. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in a long time and I forgot the ending entirely. <laughs> and I will say, Oh, I'm sorry, you guys, but rewatching it at the end, I was like, Oh, this is the ending of the movie. This is it. What in particular bothered you that it was so abrupt or I didn't like that it was all, uh, blamed on. Her. On, uh, Lena Lamont. Yeah, like, she was, they were being really shitty to her. <laughs> well, she, to be fair, she was going to hold Kathy Selden's career hostage. But not until, like, she got pushed to the point where they were just gonna cut her out of all of it. Like, I felt really bad for her in a way that I don't remember feeling when I was younger. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the times we're living in. <laughs> or what's going on, but I was like, whoa, this is the, catalyst to the this is the main conflict i did not i in my memory the main conflict was 
that they were trying to figure out how to make a talkie, uh-uh. right? How right. to how to adapt, how to fix the movie, yeah. and and really the main conflict is that she's how to get Lena out, uh, yeah. yeah, how to get Lena out, and yeah. that she becomes the villain in a way that's like really crazy, yeah. and where you feel she's bad a shining for her. Star in the cinema, Firma. <laughs> <laughs> what was your history with the Singing in the Rain, Craig? I saw it. Thank you for asking, Paul. You should host this podcast. Co-host Paul Sporin. <laughs> Paul's sublist. I saw it for the first time in high school, my senior year in high school, and I had always kind of wanted to be a theater kid, but was too nervous and and afraid to. And a lot of my friends that I had grown up with were doing a lot of high school theater, but I w- was too nervous to audition for anything. But finally, my senior year, I took theater and speech as a class. And uh, my teacher was a wonderful woman named Julie Clark, uh, and she kind of made me audition for stuff. And I got cast as the stage manager in our town. Uh, as, as one does. As one does. <laughs> I uh, never did. Had <laughs> pages and pages of dialogue to learn and was very well received in the part. <laughs> uh, but I did three plays my senior year, none of them musicals, luckily, because I, I could not sing a lick at the time. But I remember in class, uh, Mrs. Clark showing us singing in the rain one day, probably just, you know, one of those days where she didn't feel like doing yeah. anything, you know, like put on a, put on a VHS, yeah. you know. What tapes do I have on my counter here? And, uh, West Side Story's too long. Yeah. Uh, uh, singing in the rain. All right. <laughs> and, uh, I think we watched it probably over two or three days, you yeah. know, I don't know how long class was, 40 minutes or whatever. So you, you had to chop it up, but I remember loving it right away. And I, I think everybody in my class did too. I think. Yeah. Uh, again, this is, you know, something that holds up really well uh, in any era for any age. Yeah. You know, if, it plays I, well. I feel like everybody in the movie, A, has charisma for miles. Yeah. And B, is committed to the style, but not in that kind of overly theatrical, showy, Winky. or over-the-top, hokey yeah. way that at the time was a valid you know, style that people enjoyed in musicals, but they're mm-hmm. just sort of, they're more human, I think, than, than mm-hmm. people in a lot of musicals. And, and you just see the connection. And it's interesting you, that you see the connection and charisma and all of that between, for example, Debbie Reynolds and Gene Kelly, because apparently Gene Kelly was kind of an asshole in general and particularly when working on dance numbers and that he was apparently thoroughly unpleasant to her for the entirety of that movie. Uh, because she was basically playing catch up to these two guys who've been dancing since, you know, vaudeville. Yeah. Um, he seems super charming. He does. Boy, that (laughs) smile. So charismatic. I mean, smile and come on. Let's, I mean, let's be honest. Dem glutes. Yeah. Dem glutes. Dem glutes. (laughs) Um, he did not skip legs day. (laughs) Do you know who I played in our town, Craig? Who did you play in our town? Can you guess? Did you play a one one of the dead townspeople? I wish. <laughs> I played Cy Crow, the newspaper boy. Paper <laughs> <laughs> mister. Yeah. And a great example of gender blind casting. Exactly. Did you wear a newsboy cap? I sure did. Was it an all girl production? Because you went to an all girl school. Not, it was not an all girl production. That was just the right role for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Super chipper. And how much did you make in, on your paper route during the course uh, of the show? Fifteen dollars. <laughs> wow! Well, I buy first, ma. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, Carla mostly typecast as newsies. Yep. <laughs> I wish. I wish it had gone that way for me. <laughs> Every time Carla gets handed a coin, does she bite into it to see if it's real? <laughs> uh, talking about Gene Kelly's body. 
Uh, Whoa! Transition. Let's, let's go there. <laughs> yeah, let's do this. Um, but th- this season on Drunk History, we had a makeup artist named Abby, and uh, one day in the in the trailer, she was just going off on Gene Kelly and how hot he was and how how much she loved his legs and everything. And yeah. she was like, "Man, what I wouldn't give for a picture of Gene Kelly in shorts." <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know if any exists, but his legs must have been incredible. And all I did Paul's was, the case. Paul's doing what exactly what I did, which is Google Gene Kelly shorts, go to images, and there's tons of images in Gene Kelly, and oh, mostly from the picture of the pirate. Yeah. And I showed her that picture, and she's like, "Oh, Craig, you're my hero. How did you find <laughs> this? How did you hams? Google, look at these. But big, Carla, Carla, take a look. Hams." Take a look at those juicy hands, oh, Carla. Oh, I'm so my hips. We'll put this up. Wow, on the side. <laughs> what is that? That's him going. The pirate, up, like a the pirate. pirate. Interesting. The pirate was a Looks musical. Like he has I think. a lot of makeup on. Just hanging out at the beach. Oh yeah. <laughs> they knew how to he's, dress back in those he's, days. You guys, though, for real, he's very good looking. <laughs> he's very good looking. I like. I didn't. I didn't remember him not being good looking, but watching this movie, I was like, oh wow, there is. Like, he's gorgeous. He's a well-put-together man. Yeah. Legitimately handsome, legitimately fit. In a way that, like, Bing Crosby was not. Oh, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, people even... Sure. I don't know. Yeah, like I think Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby yeah. were in their own way attractive Charming men, and, but yeah. sort of of their era mm-hmm. and of the sort of 40-something receding hairline charming sexy. Right. Kind of like... Gene Kelly is just flat out... Sexy in that, uh, like Cary Grant, timeless, yes. yeah, timeless like movie good star, looks, movie yeah. star looks. Yep. And then incredibly charismatic yep. and, and funny. Uh, and then pretty good as a dancer. Yeah. Too. Oh my God. And, Amazing. Yeah. But it, it felt like he kind of ushered in a new era of like more athletic dancing. Yeah. That dancing. was absolutely his, you know, it, Fred Astaire was all about smoothness and every single move and line. Elegant. Clean and elegant. Fred Astaire. I mean, uh, Gene Kelly was much more about sort of the athleticism and he had, cause he had a jazz dance background, I believe was his sort of main concentration, which is, you know, it's, it's less about, cleanliness and it's more about just expression and feeling and mm. and so impressive yeah uh, all the dancing in this movie so no wonder he was so meticulous and demanding to get it right co-directed with stanley donan i don't know if we've mentioned stanley donan's what name else did he yet. direct well he did a lot of movie musicals oh okay a- including on the town i believe and uh, the bandwagon I he was like a 70s director he was as well i'm trying to remember his i'm bringing up his well his non-musicals that are, are particularly good in the 60s he did charade with audrey hepburn oh, and, and right. cary grant okay. and uh also another movie i think you like two for the road with audrey yep. hepburn and albert finney yep i love that movie. he also too. directed Blame it on Rio. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> that was a terrible kind of sex romp. Sex romp with Michael Caine. Michael Caine and Joseph Bologna. Yeah, and a young Demi Moore. It was in that. Yes, oh. it was in that era of uh, like Blake Edwards ten and yeah. sort of like older men lusting after younger women. Great thing that, that the seventies was, was so great at. Except this was nineteen eighty four. It was considered gross at the time, yeah. so you can. Imagine how well it holds up now. <laughs> yeah, it's still pretty awful. <laughs> but I think that was his last uh, 
picture for the for the movies, I think. For the yeah. movies. For the movies. For the movies. For the picture show. Oh, that's right. He directed Saturn 3, which was a terrible sci-fi movie with Kirk Douglas and a robot. Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then he also did Bedazzled, which is a classic comedy yeah. with uh, Dudley Moore and, Dudley Moore and uh, Peter, Peter Cook. Cook. Yeah. I've seen that. And Raquel Welch, I think, right? I believe you're right. Yeah. Uh, remade with... Hugh Grant and Liz Hurley. And no, no, Liz uh, Hurley. Liz Hurley and uh, uh, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Yes, America's Hugh Grant. <laughs> America's <laughs> Hugh Grant. <laughs> All the quotes that people have about working with Gene Kelly are kind of, and you can tell from watching that documentary with Debbie Reynolds too, of it's kind of encoded, like respectful language of like, yeah. Gene was very demanding. Yeah. <laughs> Although, according to a couple of quotes I read uh, after production, he was. If not remorseful, like he was self-aware of how trying he could be. And he said he was amazed that she was still speaking to him after that movie ended. I loved watching the behind the scenes with her because you could just tell how much she loved Hollywood Mm -hmm. and like how into it she was still. Yeah. (laughs) And it was such, I mean, they're talking about the original heyday of Hollywood, making the movie during the true sort of golden era of the studio or sort of on the, maybe on sort of, Starting on the decline of the studio system, but still mm-hmm. well within that, that sort of MGM movie musical golden era. Um, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole world. And yeah. And also how she was like able to survive it in a way where she didn't, or at least not that I know of, like become a drug addict or, yeah. or whatever, or an alcoholic, which maybe she did. I don't know her history that well, but I know she fell on hard times financially for a while. Yeah. Uh, there was a quote where at a certain point she was apparently living in her car, which was a Cadillac. Oh, really? Uh, and then she ended up. At a certain point, she opened up a casino. It, I don't know if it was in Los Angeles or Reno, yeah. but she had a casino for a while. She had a ridiculously extensive collection of yes. movie uh, costumes. I did know that. And they had to start selling it off because yeah. she had to make money. I yeah. remember reading about that. Yeah. That HBO documentary of, of Debbie Reynolds and Carrie oh, Fisher was, yeah. I heard about yeah, that. Was, was pretty great and, and very sad. Uh, in researching this, this was something that I kept kind of noticing, and I'm going to uh, deliver this information to you guys now. Gene Kelly died at 83. Donald O'Connor died 78. Debbie Reynolds, 84. Betty Comden, 89. Adolph Green, 87. Arthur Freed, 78. Sid Charisse, 86. Rita Moreno, alive and well at 87. Stanley Donan, alive and well at 94. Wow. Musical people live a long time. They certainly do. <laughs> we, and you could say for the dancers, this, certainly, that like this, being physically active keeps you healthy. Perhaps uh, Singing in the Rain is kind of the, uh, the, the flip side of the coin of The Conqueror. <laughs> The, What's the Conqueror? The Conqueror was a movie about Genghis Khan that starred John Wayne, John right? Wayne, and it was filmed not terribly far from a nuclear testing site oh. in the desert, and a a very high percentage of cast and crew from that movie died young, young of and cancer? youngish and of cancer. Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, sorry to bring the mood. <laughs> so these guys stayed on the back lot at yep. MGM. <laughs> yeah, we're going to wow. sit here. We're going to get our rub down. Far away from Every nuclear. time we step off set. <laughs> wow. Um, and oh, here another factoid. Since we're talking about factoids, we learned researching this movie. Uh, I had not known much about Jean Hagen until preparing to watch this. She, the, the, her part was originally written with, um, Judy Holiday. Judy Holiday in mind. Oh, okay. And, uh, she was, uh, she had just broken big in Born Yesterday on 
uh, Broadway, which was then turned into a movie. And they ended up with Gene Hagen, who was Judy Holliday's understudy on Broadway. Oh, wow. For that role in Born Yesterday. And she knew kind of how to do the blonde bimbo voice and everything. Yeah. That mean, was the, not her, I mean, her actual voice. Yeah, her, yeah, her, uh, her whole performance is basically that yeah. Judy Holliday-ish part from Isn't Born there a Yesterday. part where she's singing for real? There, well, she, do you want to, uh, do you know, I've known this factoid, but if you know it. I knew the factoid incorrectly and then learned it correctly. Yeah. In, in doing research on this when, movie. When Kathy Selden is supposedly re-recording her dialogue, that's actually Gene Hagen speaking that dialogue because she had a richer voice. There's a the deep, rich voice. Yes, there's a different vocalist that is not Gene Hagen and is not Debbie Reynolds doing the singing. singing overdubbing. Okay. Uh, but I don't. It was just some. It wasn't Marnie Nixon or whoever the sort of yeah. usual go-to it was person some was. Kathy it was just Selden some, in real life. Yeah, some some <laughs> who lady, never got credit. Yeah, some lady on the lot who didn't get credited until far later in Wikipedia. Yeah. But yeah, I had always been under the impression that Gene Hagen was actually doing the singing there, which would have been great irony, but yeah. uh, but it's not I actually similarly true. Similarly, for a long time, had that uh, learned wrong as well. Why don't we go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. He's One day you're gonna. Thank you, John Dinerstein, yeah. for those crazy wacky chords. <laughs> His podcast is great. Have you heard that one? I have heard it. Settling the score. Yeah. Cross promotion. <laughs> I wrote in my notes: Gene Kelly must have been a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also come across the story of Debbie Reynolds crying on uh, on the lot underneath and, a piano? Yeah, and Fred Astaire coming up and consoling her. Aww. Yes, I, mean, I, I I think it may be apocryphal considering the different versions of it that I have read. Yeah, like some of them say that he came across her and told her that all her hard work would be worth it, and others say he came across her and she was crying, and he ended up working with her on her dancing from that point forward. For the movie, but... Uh, is there will- a version where he was like, get up, kid! <laughs> get up, kid! Suck it up! <laughs> Buck up, baby! Man up! This is what you wanted! <laughs> Kiddo. <laughs> it feels like th- this may have more apocryphal stories attributed to it than any... Than any big- I don't know. Wizard of Oz has yeah, a lot that's of... Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, but also an MGM musical. Right. Because I, I couldn't get a straight story on exactly what happened to Donald O'Connor after the Make Him Laugh sequence. Because oh, yeah. in some accounts, it, it was like, he spent three days in the hospital. Then I read he spent three days recovering at home. Yeah. And then, but he says that he shot the whole sequence and, and then rested for three days because he smoked four packs a day. And then that they had shot it with the wrong lens something, or yeah, something, something went wrong. and had to reshoot the whole sequence what? again. <laughs> yeah. How does he walk on the walls? The walls are, if you look at it, the, uh, if you, if you look at it, the wall is angled slightly away from him. So it's basically a very steep ramp. Oh. And that's how he's able, it makes it easier to do the flip. I've seen people do a flip like that off of a vertical wall, but really? it's far easier to just tilt it five, ten degrees away from you. But that's like- the, that's the technique. I feel like if I could do that, then I could die. <laughs> That's all you die. want to do? You, yes. <laughs> Victory. You would, in, you would instantly die. I would instantly die. But it would have but been But you'd go it. out on top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we get into Carlos' quotes, I'll read this Donald O'Connor quote then. Sure. I was smoking four packs of cigarettes a day then, and getting up those walls was murder. They had to bank one wall so I could make it up and then through another wall. We filmed the whole sequence in one day. We did it on a concrete floor. My body just had to absorb this tremendous shock. 
Things were building to such a crescendo that I thought I'd have to commit suicide for the ending. I came back on set three days later. All the grips applauded. Gene Kelly applauded, told me what a great number it was. Then Gene said, do you think you could do that number again? I said, sure, anytime. He said, well, we're going to have to do it again tomorrow. No one had checked the aperture of the camera, and they fogged out all the film. So the next day I did it again. By the end, my feet and ankles were a mass of bruises. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's really, I mean, the flipping is impressive, but he does a ton of falling in mm-hmm, that scene. Yeah. Like, I, I can only imagine the toll it must have taken to do that for a 12-hour day, uh, throwing himself on the ground like that. Yeah. Also, he ended up uh, married to that um, uh, mannequin for 12 years after this. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite things when he's behind the couch, throw it in the oh, mannequin, goes in the air, and then you see his body go in the air. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, that's one of those great uh, Hollywood onset romances. Yeah. Him and the mannequin. <laughs> Was the inspiration for the movie Mannequin. No. One of Carla's favorites. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> Set in Philadelphia, hometown. Woo! Have, a, have a feeling it doesn't hold up. <laughs> you, you You're right. I'm I just, did watch it. You don't think the incredibly awful. broad gay caricature uh, <laughs> supporting character doesn't uh, doesn't hold up to modern sensitivities? It's pretty. It's pretty rough, you guys. I did watch it not too long ago. Top of the movie. The, uh, not really a Paul's quote, but one of my favorite move, moments of the whole movie is right there at the beginning, where uh, cars are pulling up to the the premiere screening. And uh, the the it, the the it girl Zelda, the sort of Clara Bow character of the movie, yeah. pops out. Yeah. The whole audience stands up, and then super close up, this one guy pops right into frame, just shouts, "Zelda! Oh, Zelda!" <laughs> I love that guy with a passion that knows no bounds. Do you think he got a sad card for that? I I hope so. He sure as hell did deserve it. I I like to imagine he was. Uh, like a set dresser or, or mm. somebody that was just a big fan and, and had worked with Stanley Donnan for a long time. <laughs> yeah. He was finally going to get his moment. Let's throw him a line. Either that or he had some sort of like compromise on Gene Kelly. So he was like, I'm getting an extreme close up <laughs> in the first minute of this movie. So good. Or this eight millimeter film is getting sent to Hush Hush magazine. He really made a meal of it. He did. Oh my God. <laughs> like you wonder if in the script there were like 12 exclamation points <laughs> on the line. He just loses his nut. In case you, you don't remember if you haven't seen the film in a while, it opens with singing in the rain. Yes. Which is kind of weird. <laughs> it's just like, here's so, the three stars, uh, marching, uh, with umbrellas and ring prologue for you. Yeah, a little prologue. I'm going to say something so nitpicky. It does, it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the film, but it is a little confusing where Gene Kelly starts singing, singing in the rain. So you think like, oh, it's a spontaneous song that he's making up in the moment. Mm-hmm. But then later on when they need to fill time or whatever, you know, oh, that it's they're an like, existing uh, standard yeah. that she calls for the band to play. Yeah. Say, uh, let's do singing in the rain. And uh-huh. then they'd sing it. And it's like, wait a second. They're what? messing around with the reality. Yeah. It's that so is weird. But it's weird. It <laughs> is weird. It's linky. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things of doing a jukebox musical, yeah, I, I guess. And some of the songs are organic in the moment, like uh, the, literally it's somebody performing, and then some are more of the traditional musical of, yep. of when emotions get high yeah. and you break out in song. There's like the fit is a fiddle thing where they're performing on stage, and then there's You Were Meant For Me where they're expressing their love through yeah. a slowish dance. <laughs> or All I Do Is Dream Of You is a bunch of chorus girls yeah. at a party, yeah. you know, so like that makes sense there. Look at Frankie. <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> Oh, she loves her daddy so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, sorry, uh, sorry listeners. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> just imagine a dog's doing something very cute. Yeah. <laughs> Chihuahua. So at the beginning of the movie, they're at Grauman's Chinese, and it's a uh, it's a Hollywood premiere of a Lockwood and Lamont picture. There's a publicity outside, kind of a Hedda Hopper figure interviewing him. Uh, that's where the dignity, always dignity speech, yes. comes from. Uh, Carla on Don Lockwood, he's got so much makeup on. <laughs> I don't remember saying that, but I believe you. I did notice for the first time that Gene Kelly does have a prominent scar on his oh, face. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, he does? Yeah, he's got sort of a little sort of hook-shaped, C-stick-shaped scar on his cheek. Oh. And I wonder what that is from. Uh, here's Carla and Gene Kelly. He's so talented. I think <laughs> Also, <laughs> you the, said several things along those yeah, lines. The costumes in this movie, like I'm not usually one to overly notice costumes unless yeah. they're particularly ostentatious, but this movie, just top to bottom, Amazing. again, it's it walks that wonderful line of partly it's Hollywood glamour, partly it's... It's heightened reality of a musical, and partly it's just fabulous costumes. His white overcoat yes, combined with so his great. incredibly white smile and white fedora yeah. that he's wearing in that first scene. He's just like popping off the screen. And Lena Lamont's wearing this green fur trim yes, thing. Yes, it's incredible. But it's like a very light lime, and I, subtle because green. Because it's an old movie, I kind of forgot that like this was actually... Uh, a it's throwback. A pe- it's, it's a, a period, period piece for it them. Is. Yeah. So they do such a nice job of making it feel timeless, yeah. even though it is yeah. like the twenties or thirties, right? It was twenty-five years old for them. Yeah. So it'd be like us making a movie set in uh, ninety-three today. Yeah. It'd be like them trying Lots to remake flannel. singles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And you imagine as they're wandering around the set, they're they'd be looking at each other and be like, "Oh, that's so twenties. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that. That's so twenties. Yeah, it's crazy." <laughs> Just as if I was uh, dressed like Soundgarden. <laughs> Please dress like Soundgarden. <laughs> oh, I love the phrase uh, banana oil. Oh, for, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a Smart. euphemism for bullshit. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, that's banana oil. Uh, after Don leaves the premiere, there's a thing of him uh, trying to escape a group of fans, and then he uh, finds himself into Kathy's car. Uh, but there's a really impressive stunt, uh, which yeah. was done by Gene Kelly's stunt double of, uh, kind of jumping, uh, on top oh, of the yeah. streetcar and then down street into the yeah, car. Yeah. We saw an outtake where the, the stunt man landed on his ass, Uh-oh. missed Uh-oh. the car entirely. Uh-oh. And that couldn't have, uh, felt good. Uh, but Carla's quote was, that can't be safe. <laughs> <laughs> he hops in her car, Carla, best meat cute of all time. It is. It's a real good meat cute. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't work today. But yeah. it works so well in this movie. <laughs> well, well, then she hails down a police officer, right? Yeah. And he's like, why? That's Don Lockwood. Yeah. And, and he says, you're a lucky little lady. Anything wrong? And Carla said, yikes. Yeesh. <laughs> hashtag me too. <laughs> She's like, help me. Help me. And immediately the cop's like, oh, you're with a movie star. It's, it's you're fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Right. <laughs> um there's a lot of lines in this movie that I either use in my every not everyday life, but have used or wish I could use a lot more. And one of them that I've never had the opportunity to use because it is very, very niche usage, but to uh, land, uh, arrive somewhere where you're driving and I just want to sing song, go, here we are, sunset in Camden. Yes! <laughs> it's so funny. That, yeah, it's such a great moment. We yeah. both laughed at that. That was good. <laughs> 
why don't girls pop out of cakes anymore? <laughs> Is that a Carla quote or are you just asking? Oh, that's a Craig quote. <laughs> a Craig query. Yikes. A, qu- a Craig query. A query. <laughs> why don't girls pop out of cakes no more? <laughs> oh, shucks, mister. Carla and Gene Kelly, he's so handsome. This is <laughs> this is going to be a recurring thing. <laughs> I was really into Gene Kelly. <laughs> Pretty handsome. Yeah. I love that one racy joke uh, of when he's uh, stuck backstage with the chorus girls and he's trying to get through and uh, the lady says, anything I can do? Kind of suggestively. And he says, sorry, I don't have time to find out. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that was one moment where I was like, that's a really funny joke that would totally work nowadays too it's a good joke also it's a tiny little thing but as he's running through that room and saying i'm sorry i don't have time to find out and he heads for the extra door and just as he's going out that door he does one last little take back (laughs) just like like, me nope (laughs) here's carla on donald o'connor during the make him laugh sequence uh this is uh in reaction to me uh watching the sequence he's making you laugh <laughs> so mission accomplished. Yeah. That's job number one. <laughs> it works. It really is a remarkable number. It I mean, really they really they just yeah. you know, they threw in every trick he knew how to do from mm-hmm. his hoof and vaudeville days, and I mean, he's so he's so charming. Yeah, uh, I just I love him in, in this movie. I wish he had more yeah roles like this that we were more familiar with. But yeah, I just love, him. and he's a great. Uh, he, he's, he's just different enough from Gene Kelly mm-hmm. that they really, they complement each other and, and they work really well together. Yeah. It's I a agree. good pairing. I agree. And I think this movie has very little fat in it too. Yeah. It's really clipped. It goes along at a head. It's about an hour 42. And especially knowing that once you get into the sixties, uh, and they were doing a lot of Broadway adaptations that m- movie musicals were getting into the three, three yeah. and a half hour, uh, phase. Yeah. Uh, to see and to know that they they had the wherewithal to cut some of those sequences too to mm-hmm. tighten up the movie. Yeah, I think it's the, very tight. After the party sequence and and the Coconut Grove girls and and Kathy goes away after the the cake thing, uh, and you see him trying to chase after her and he stops and he just sort of starts to saunter slowly. There's a whole musical number there that was cut of oh. him singing a reprise of All I Do Is Dream of You. Yeah. As he sort of walks home. You understand why it was cut. Uh, but, um, it would be interesting to see that scene. I don't, uh, from what I read, I don't think the footage exists anymore of that, but, you know, it's, it's I, I love, I love sort of thinking about the, the editing process, uh, Young Frankenstein, for example, uh, not to jump to a completely different movie, but they have a number of deleted scenes from Young Frankenstein on the DVD and you watch them and it absolutely makes sense why they should have cut them. And it made it for a better movie. And you wonder if it would have been as successful as it was with just these little two minute scenes that just aren't quite as funny or don't move the story along or yeah. whatever. And I, I love sort of analyzing that process when you get access to those kinds of. Our neighbor, uh, we won't say his name just in case. <laughs> Uh, he works at MG or now whatever MGM is, which, which uh, Sony. 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 He works in the um, film restoration like whatever archive it's department. his job to like go find movies and wow. they lose movies all the time sure there are reels uh like all over the world just sitting in warehouses mm-hmm. i mean it's to hear him talk about it 
it's very upsetting because it's yeah. like they just did not do a good job of archiving anything. Yeah. And they'll, they'll randomly like accidentally find, like they found a reel of blue velvet. Uh, that they had been looking for for years. And the ear was in the, the ear was in one of the ears, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Was in the box. (laughs) (laughs) Almost like it was a joke. Uh That David Lynch left the ear behind. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully they'll re-edit that footage and get you to watch the movie again and maybe look at it in a whole new light. I will never watch that movie again. (laughs) It was worth a shot, Craig. (laughs) Never. But yeah, so it's just like to hear that they lost, you know, some of those, um, Original, yeah. what are they called? Yeah. Outtakes. Outtakes or whatever. whatever yeah. It's like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. There, it's, there's some ungodly percentage of like movies before 1920. We don't, I, and I don't even want to quote the number, but it's low, whether it's 10% or 2%, whatever it is of like all the movies that were made, we only have 10%. Archives of, yeah. It, it can't be more than 10%. Ugh. And it's probably less. I mean, everything was on nitrate and it was flammable. And, right. Right. And it degraded rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's when you get into the, uh, the transition into the talky era that some of the best comedy in the movie Mm -hmm. happens. And it's like, it's like classic comedic heightening, especially that scene where they're trying to just record that scene with Lena and they're trying every method Mm -hmm. to put the mic in the right place. It's just, it's so funny. It's comedic heightening that really really, holds up now. Yeah. Yeah. That like the timing on that, I would put up against any scene. And I love the director. I don't yes. know who the yes. actor is, but the with, with the clinched, is, the clinched yes. I was, teeth. I was, Douglas you know? Fowley was his name, and I was going to say I have in my notes his exasperation take, especially at the end of that scene. <laughs> like he yeah. just does the full on grabs his head. And all <laughs> was missing was a doom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he just like just really amping up the the tension and the the comedy tension in the scene. He's yeah. great. He's really And good. I love um oh, what's his name? He's the guy like, who plays RF. Uh yes, uh Millard Millard Mitchell is the studio is head. The studio head. He's the not... one the one nice studio head in movie yeah. history. I was going to say <laughs> yes. it felt yeah. I mean, I liked his character, but that did not feel real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I kind of also love like he's not the greatest actor in the world, Yeah. but somehow it works for him. <laughs> he actually feels more real to me he feels yeah he feels like a guy that they just sort of pulled in yeah. from an office he's like, kind of stiff oh my god uh edward g robinson had to cancel for our movie would you please come play this right. uh ex- yeah. you're an exec just you know read you're these tall lines. you seem like you have status you're in gray. real life <laughs> you're wearing a suit yeah he does get one of the more subtle jokes though when uh when they have the whole 20 minute long Broadway melody sequence. And the whole thing is, is kind of like their pitch of like, okay, we just got to shoot this one more thing. It's going to go like this. We see the whole thing. And then we cut back to the studio. He's like, I don't know. I'd have to see it on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Joe, bring me a tarantula is another good. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And of course, all the, um, the, the elocution lessons with so great. Uh, that that that's one like in our I house. Can't him. In our house, like I can't, can't stand him. him. We use that a lot. Um, <laughs> can't. Oh, and then uh, one more before that, I had a note. A, a Paul's quote. <laughs> um, you can't do your own. Gene quotes. Kelly's line reading after they've rediscovered <laughs> Kathy Selden in that uh, that group of chorus girls, and then she and and Don Lockwood are walking along the uh, the back lot. 
and she's accidentally revealing how she reads the fan magazines. And oh, you read the fan magazines? She says, "Well, yeah, I guess I, I probably do buy four or five a week." And his line read on you buy four or five. <laughs> 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 Something about that laugh lives with lives. I yeah. will never get out of my head. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean. If Gene Kelly was only like a great dancer, like this movie would hold up. But then when you add like his ability for comedy and his charisma, like yep. it's, it's so I great. I mean, singing in the rain, that sequence is maybe the best sequence ever on film. <laughs> like it's just for one of those things that's so iconic that everybody kind of knows whether you've seen the movie or not. Yeah. Like it, as something to watch over and over again, it feels like, like it, the first it, time it you're holds up. It. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it, it does that. Again, it walks that line of a song in a musical where it's weird for somebody to burst into song, but the the point of bursting into a song in a musical is you're expressing an emotion mm-hmm. that you just can't adequately convey in speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just somehow lands perfectly and works in the style that he's singing it in and the setting and the dance. It all just perfectly sets that mood. Yeah. Um, the way very few songs and musicals do, I think. And of course, there's the speaking of ap- apocryphal tales. He was at least very sick when they uh, <laughs> filmed that. There, you know, depending on what you read, he had a fever of 104, mm-hmm. or he just had a fever, or what have you. But he was he was ill that day, and the rain. He was wearing a wool suit, and the rain was making his suit shrink. Ugh. Uh, and you know, it was wool to begin with. Yeah. I can only imagine how itchy he was during the, that entire uh, sequence, but it's yeah. really phenomenal. It looks so effortless yeah. and joyful. Well, it's the combination of he's in love with her, right? And excited. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what leads you into it. But then there's just a moment where he, it feels like it's like, like the most childlike yep. wonder. Splashing just in puddles. Yeah. Yeah. Around, yeah. And then to, to have the button of like turning around and seeing the cops standing there is so funny and it's yeah. such a good payoff. Yeah. And, uh, the audio, all of those taps and splashes had to be ADR'd. Mm-hmm. They re-recorded them. Speaking of people who don't get credit, I don't have their names in front of me, but I remember reading last night. He had two assistant choreographers, two women on that movie who, Generally, I don't... I'm Gwen pretty, Verdon was one of them. Yes, Gwen Verdon was one oh, and somebody wow. else. And they re-recorded all of the... Many of the taps for the entire movie, including that whole sequence. And apparently, they were standing in like a bucket full of water to get... They were experimenting, <laughs> oh, wow. trying to find the right degree of splash for oh, depending on the, the... When he's you know stomping in a puddle versus mm-hmm. just tapping on a wet pavement. Hmm. Um, you know, speaking of lost arts. <laughs> yeah. The art of uh, ADR. ADR taps. Tap dancing. <laughs> Is that considered Foley or no? Yeah, I would imagine. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, at some point, you asked me about the difference in age between Gene Kelly and uh, Debbie <laughs> Reynolds, and I said he was 40 and she was 20, and you said scandalous. <laughs> he doesn't look 40, though. He doesn't, which is oh. unusual in these old movies. Usually, it's like he looks 50 and he's actually 35 in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Cary Grant time. being older than the actress who played his mother in uh, North by Northwest. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, another uh, quote that rolls around in our house a lot. Um, oh, Pierre, you shouldn't have come. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, God. Gene, every, just every line Gene Higgins says in that movie. Yeah. He just has amazing. relish on it. And... So good. Now, your mother used to wake you up by singing Good Morning, Good Morning, yeah. right? 
Does that does that mean that you don't care to watch that <laughs> sequence? <laughs> no, or? I like it. It drew it drove me crazy when I was a kid, but it is kind of sweet. But it's also like not what that song means at all. Like she's not really trying to wake people up by saying that. No. They're talking about yeah. staying up all night or whatever. Uh, so it's out of context. It's out of context, yeah. but it's sweet. Nice job, mom. <laughs> so they, they have this disastrous preview screening for the Dueling Cavalier, which is their first talking picture. And then they decide to turn it into a musical. And so Cosmo and, and Kathy and, and Don have this brainstorming session where they, yes. they they're going to turn where, it into where the, they invent overdubbing. They invent overdubbing <laughs> right. in one night. And then Carla said, I love that the star of the movie gets to decide this. <laughs> like they haven't contacted the director, the no. producers, the He's studio like, in any way. <laughs> when I was a little girl, I thought this guy and Danny Kaye were the same guy. That's what you mm-hmm. said about Donald O'Connor. And then, uh, so they have this, they, they do the good morning, good morning, and they all kind of like collapse on a couch laughing together. And Carla said, ah, ha, ha, let's have a threesome. <laughs> it might have happened. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Carla also threw in a poor Lena. I did poor feel Lena. bad for her. I really did. Well, to be fair, she did re- reject Don Lockwood's advances way back at the beginning of the movie. Therefore, she must pay. That's yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> Rules of being a lady in a movie. <laughs> at the beginning of the Singing in the Rain dance sequence, uh, he said goodnight to Kathy and kissed her goodnight. And then he's got a cab there and he waves the cab away. <laughs> and Carla said, we just wanted you to watch us kiss. Now you can go. <laughs> Go tell all your cabbie friends. <laughs> and then here, here's Carla's punctuation to the singing in the rain uh, sequence. Could you be more charming? My God. Even that cop was like, that guy's damn charming. <laughs> <laughs> it's those bleached white teeth. I'm telling you, man, it's so good. They beam. They do. So, uh, the whole oh also uh the the montage of the early days of movie musicals oh, is really yes. fantastic too. Yes. It doesn't really involve the leads from the movie, but it's it's kind of a fun montage yep. sequence. Including that silly fashion sequence, which I have seen in numerous like just old movies on TCM. There was yeah. uh in uh I think it's in The Women, is it? Yeah. Where, where mm-hmm. just in the middle of The Women, yep. which is a black and white wonderful <laughs> movie starring every female in Hollywood of the era, it stops cold for like a seven minute fashion show right of like edith head outfits or yeah. or whatever it's that, in technicolor or not technicolor but it switches to color just for this sequence then goes back to the rest of the movie that must have just been a trope at the time I think or so. something I mean, like it was sort of like 3d you know they're trying things out and yeah. maybe like the fashion houses like had a hand in Could it be. too or, right. or something to sell clothes or, or whatever uh but the the Broadway melody sequence or, or Broadway rhythm, uh, they're pretty much trying to top the dream ballet from American in Paris, which they had done the previous right. year. Right. Um, and it's kind of getting shoehorned into the, the dancing cavalier yeah, movie. Yeah. And Carla said, how does this number fit into that movie though? <laughs> it doesn't. And they kind of explained that if like he's a hoofer. Trying to get a job, he like a sandbag hits him on the head, and the rest of the movie and, is the dancing cavalier. And then yeah. the rest of the movie is in the French Revolution. Or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> so but then like, yeah, we yeah. see the end of the dancing cavalier, and it kind of it, it doesn't end with the dancer no, waking back up in present day. The frame doesn't have all four sides. <laughs> can we? Okay, speaking of sexy, can we talk about Sid Charisse in this movie? 
She's pretty sexy. She's pretty damn sexy. Yeah, that's an, these, these movies, like these types of musicals from this era have these weird, like, dance sequences that have nothing to do with the plot where they'll introduce a woman or somebody who's like a brand new character. And it's beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. It's totally fun to watch, but it does kind of take me out of the story. Yeah. I just have to say it, guys. I'm sorry. Well, hey, you know what? You do you, Carla. (laughs) (laughs) You noticed at one point during that Sid Charisse and Gene Kelly number, a weird cut. Yeah. And apparently there was something where she's kind of wrapped around him that the Legion of Decency uh, objected to. And they had to cut out a few frames of the movie. And you can really tell that it's an awkward cut in what is such like a well put together movie. So it really kind of jumps out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can see why this style of movie um, became unpopular or started losing its popularity because it's so – it's magical, but it's so unrealistic. And then mm-hmm. when you think about the seventies or the late sixties and, and the style of yep. film from then, like the there's swing to more realism. Yeah. And- there's just no way those two things can exist, I guess, in that way. Your quote was these old movies always have these musical numbers that have nothing to do with the rest of the movie. <laughs> so what I just said, but much more <laughs> succinct <laughs> in the moment. You're more succinct, yeah. but that flowing veil sequence is so cool. Yeah. It too. is. But like, I just want to, I honestly, and I remember thinking this when I was a kid too, like, why isn't Debbie Reynolds doing this? I know because she wasn't as good of a dancer, yeah. but like when you're in this love story to then watch him basically have yeah. sex through dance with this other woman, it's weird. <laughs> that was actually, um, my understanding of it and which could be incomplete is Oklahoma was the first musical to introduce that concept where near the end of the first act, things switch to a sort of dream ballet mm. where two dancers who are not the male and female leads kind of act out the situation and people's yearning and stuff in this sort of sequence that, you know, the, the lead female act uh, part is, is taking a quick nap or something right. is how mm. it is how it works in the show. But that was Oklahoma was such a hit, uh, such a gargantuan hit on, on Broadway that I think uh, my understanding is that sort of, People jumped onto that bandwagon of, oh, what people want in, in their musicals these days is a ballet, you know, a, a dream ballet, some sort of dance interpretive. Oh, okay. Uh, non sequitur-ish. And this was like when like Balanchine was, was big yeah. and like ballet and everything. And it, it actually m- might have been like really avant-garde and cutting edge, you know, yeah. For, yeah. for the time in, yeah. in a way. I mean, it's definitely yeah. impressive. Yep. I think also like some of those crane shots and the mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. Stanley Donan really has a great sense of like where to place the camera to. And there's some, yep. r- some really exciting camera moves as well. And at the end, uh, so do you, did you say everything you wanted to say about that ending? Yeah. I mean, I think I got it across. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was disappointing <clears throat> on the rewatch. So Lena's out. Kathy's in. Now Kathy is the big star for Monumental Pictures, which is making musicals now. And then you see a giant poster. They've made a movie called Singing in the Rain. And Carla said, whoa, meta. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's not a great ending. Final quote from Carla. (laughs) I'm sorry. It does wrap up a little neatly, a little quick, but it's a musical. I know. I I still really love it, but I... It's interesting to me that I did not remember how it ended. 
which means that I probably didn't like mm-hmm. how it ended before either. <laughs> you didn't want to see how they wrapped up with Zelda's kid sister. Uh, right. <laughs> Zelda, part uh, played by Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno, yeah. yeah. The character talked about way more than seeing. It feels like they're constantly yeah. referencing Zelda. Yeah. Well, she was supposed to have had a song, right? Yeah, I think so. Cut. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Poor Lena. I hope. Poor that, Lena. I hope that she found. She a way should to not have out. threatened to sue. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> and Jean Hagen, the one star of the movie who died young. I think she was fifty-two yeah. when she died. Uh, Paul, is this a A movie for you? This is a solid A movie for me. I will be honest, it is not an A plus because I feel personally watching it, it sags a little in the you were meant for me number. And Mm -hmm. as much as I like the Broadway melody, uh, dance number, by the time you get to the floating veil section, I'm kind of waiting for it to end. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I agree. Well, uh, what is your favorite movie of all time? That switches around to, it's usually either Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles. Usually, on, like, Young Frankenstein is the better movie. I've had this fight with, uh, previous Craigslist guest, uh, Travis McElroy. <laughs> okay. Uh, Blazing Saddles. Who is, a, who is a self-proclaimed expert on Mel Brooks films. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, the, I, the, I, we got this with Travis doing the entire oeuvre of Mel Brooks is really yeah. great. Uh, I've, I've listened to it. <laughs> uh, Blazing Saddles is the funnier movie. Uh, Young Frankenstein is the better movie. I agree. Um, but it's usually either Young Frankenstein, uh, Seven Samurai mm. is oh, often wow. occupies a top spot for me. Seven Samurai I love because, uh, there's an entire movie before you get to the action movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally an hour and a half before you get to the supposed action of this action movie. You care about the characters first. Exactly. You care yeah. a lot about the characters. Then, the, then they fight. Yes. And then everybody <laughs> fights and a bunch of people die. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, as far as, it's not a musical, but as far as show business movies, my favorite movie about show business, it used to be all that jazz for a long time. Um, even though like, there's only so much of sort of nihilistic Fosse that I can mm-hmm. take as much as I love Cabaret and, mm-hmm. and all that jazz. Uh, he's, he's a downer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Mike Lee's Topsy Turvy, oh yeah, I think good. is the best movie made about uh, show business and performing, and about the collaborative process. I need to watch that again. I saw that when I was like nineteen or twenty when it you first came to, out. You need to be and older and patient. Yeah, it's the Gilbert and Sullivan movie. Yeah, I bet I would really like it now. But it's yeah. specifically about making the Mikado. It's right? about yeah, it's about the yes, the making of the Mikado, uh, and it's been like every Mike Lee movie. It doesn't have a whole lot of overarching story beyond they don't really want to work together anymore but then they start working on the Mikado but they spend so much time on the various actors and the producers and all the ancillary characters and everybody is so has done so much work and research because that's how Mike Lee movies are put together he just does a ton of rehearsal and improv Mm -hmm. with all of the actors and the script sort of comes out of that and everybody's been so specific and just these well rounded lived in characters that yeah. I just I love spending the two hours in that movie every time I sit down and watch it. Not to mention it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Carlo, you want to give Singing in the Rain a letter grade? This is tough. Because mm. the actual Singing in the Rain number is one of one of my favorite things I've ever seen. So A plus on that. So A plus on that. And I'm gonna go for a B plus on the movie overall. B plus overall. Um 
I'm willing to give it an A minus. <laughs> <laughs> if it does a little extra credit. Because <laughs> I love Gene Kelly so much. <laughs> yes, Gene, Gene Kelly's glutes get, okay. each get, each get a, mean, a, an A minus. He's, but he's well, dead. He doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to live between an A minus and a B plus. Okay. So you're right on that cusp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it is. It's weird because I just gave Goodfellas an A minus, I think. Yeah, you did. But everything's yeah. on a curve for you, right? Yeah. Well, and, that, and how could you possibly even compare Singing in the Rain to Goodfellas? Right. They're, but from top to bottom, Goodfellas is like a, a good movie. <laughs> like I didn't have any real <clears throat> issues with plot. So, okay. Well, I think uh, I have to decide whether uh, whether I prefer Singing in the Rain or Sunset Boulevard of the movies we've covered thus far. They're Ooh. both like from a similar era and they're both kind of Hollywood satires. Yeah. I'm going to go for the uh, the light and breezy over the darker. I think I prefer prefer Singing in the Rain. Yeah. I think it's my favorite movie that we've covered thus far. Oh, great. Really? On Craigslist. I think I, Sunset Boulevard is a better movie. You're welcome. Oh. <laughs> Paul, you want to improvise a little scene with us? Sure, he said nervously. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this maybe goes back to Carla's threesome quote, but uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering, as close and Dawn as Dawn and Cosmo are, uh, and you know, Cosmo always hanging around, being a joker. You know, Dawn is now entering this relationship with uh, with Kathy. Uh, Cosmo's always going to be hanging around. There's got to be a point where Cosmo's <laughs> presence becomes a little tiresome. So, uh, would you like to play Cosmo? Sure. In this, <laughs> Kathy, uh, great, great, great job, and you're you're really coming into your own as a dancer. Thanks, Don. I mean, yesterday you were screaming at me. My feet were bleeding, and you were cursing. So I, I really appreciate. <laughs> Was I? Well, we we got the shot. We I mean, got I could be shot. wrong in my memory. I'm often wrong. <laughs> yes, you are. Ah. Oh, I love you, Don. I love you, Kathy. Hey, everybody. Great shot. You want to make some sandwiches? Uh, I got some bologna uh, right over here. Honka, honka, honka. <laughs> hey, Cuz. Uh, great, great to see you, pal. Yours. Oh, sure. Great to be here. Boy, you, You're such you a two clown. kids. Oh, well, you know, I do what I do. You two kids, you just look great together. I, we're going to be best pals forever, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Y'all want to go see a movie? Uh, actually, Don and I were just about to kiss. We were. Oh, well, don't just let about- me stop you. Um,. Hold on, let me get the right angle. Um, <clears throat> you you look beautiful. Thank um, you. Um, mm, mm, this is awkward. Mm, Cosmo, get can you get out of here? Kiss her on the ear. It'll okay. be funnier that way. <laughs> okay, this is. Uh, I'm not trying to be funny, Cosmo. I'm, I'm, feel but you got to make him laugh. Not always. Really, <laughs> Get off the ceiling, Cosmo. Get off the ceiling. I can't help How it. does I just he ended up up do here. that? <laughs> hey, what's going on around here, anyways? Lena. What are you doing here? You were fired from Monumental. We got you out of here. John, I came back for you, because we're supposed to be together. Lena, you got a snowball's chance in Hades with him. Who are you, anyways? I'm the musician. You know me. I'm the yuck-yuck sidekick. I'm asexual, apparently. Don, can you please get control over your supporting actors? Lena, Lena, Cosmo, you know, Lena's available, right? Lena, Cosmo's available. Well, you know, I never did say no to a blonde. (laughs) I can't. I just can't. Oh, that hurts my ears. What? It is piercing, isn't it? <laughs> it is very piercing. Don, I love you. We're meant to be together. Don, I really wish you would just uh, get control of your... Kathy, uh, I'm so sorry. Boy, I wish I had your problems, Don. <laughs> Cosmo, get get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Cosmo, get off of my dress. You're standing on my dress. I wish I was standing under your dress. Oh, jeez. Oh, He's got a clip for every occasion. I'm not a happy man. I'll be oh. in my trailer crying. 
Don. Touch I my glutes. You. Touch my glutes. I can't touch your glutes in public. <laughs> I touch his glutes all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I had to play Lee. Oh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Paul, what a delight. Thank oh, you for thank joining you. us. It's such a pleasure to finally be here. Yes. Did it live up I am a to the, the hype listener. in our minds of, of planning this two years <laughs> you ago. Are, you are one of that's the so few nice. podcasts that I have on automatic download. <laughs> oh, thank that's you, Paul. Nice. I'll try to do better now that I know that. <laughs> Carla, you're the reason I keep listening. Uh, <laughs> Craig's the reason I started. You're the reason I keep listening. <laughs> that's nice to hear this episode is going to drop january 8th is there anything that uh you'd like to promote oh let's see um where can we, people find you online people can as well? find me uh as part of my comedy music duo paul and storm at paul and storm at the various social medias you can find our website at paul but we never really do anything with that website because <laughs> websites are useless anymore hey been there done that man uh we help run <laughs> Uh, we're a couple of the founders of an annual event cruise called Joko Cruise, uh, on which Craig and Carla have yeah. been guest performers in it's the past. It's so fun. Everybody uh, get your tickets. 2019 cruise is sold out, but uh, as of the time this airs, the 2020 cruise is uh, open for sale. Yeah. It is selling very, very well. Uh, so either there will be tickets left, in which case you should go buy them, or there are tickets not left, which makes me a happy man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's happening in the we're going to be in San Francisco Sketchfest. Oh yeah. We have shows on the Thursday I don't know the specific like dates. The whatever 18th. that we uh, 18th, yeah. 19th, 20th, whatever that weekend is, we have a show called Worst First Chapter where we have people write intentionally terrible first chapters to it. non-existent awful books. <laughs> uh Worst First Chapter Sci-Fi Edition is happening on Thursday. Uh, Friday, we have a fake TED Talk show. Amazing. Then Saturday afternoon, we have a proper uh, Worst First Chapter. And then Saturday evening, we have a show, uh, Jonathan Colton and Paul and Storm and Friends, <laughs> uh, which will just be sort of music and variety Very show. Cool. So that's all happening. We write on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. We wrote the past wrote on the past two seasons and all the music for this past current season, season cool. 12, which is on Netflix right now. And that's kind of where we're at. So not a lot. Not a lot not going a lot. on. Yeah, keep busy. Keep a busy. <laughs> yeah, Carla and I will be at SF Sketchfest as well. If you're an improviser in the Bay Area, we're offering a workshop called How to Improvise Like a Married Couple. And you're going to get so much loving in that workshop. <laughs> oh, whoa. Hey. <laughs> like, define your term. I mean, positive reinforcement. Yeah. Positive reinforcement. And uh, I'll be, we'll, we'll also be performing at a, uh, a show called The Speakeasy with uh, Paula Tompkins and uh, John... Hodgman, and uh, I'm also going to be doing the Work Juice Improv show. So uh, please come to SF Sketchfest. There's nothing but great funny stuff up there. My favorite weekend of the one of my favorite weekends of the year. It's so fun! I can't wait to party with you. Yeah, we're gonna go do we're all the fun. It. Yeah, we're gonna blaze it. Yeah, we're gonna weed a smoke. <laughs> so, Carla, for the next episode, we're moving on to number eighteen on my list. This is the Best Picture winner of uh, 1960. For a long time, it was the last black and white movie that won the Best Picture Oscar. Mm. And it was directed by Billy Wilder. It stars oh. as C.C. Baxter, Jack Lemmon, uh, along with Shirley MacLaine and Fred McMurray. The movie is called The Apartment. Oh, wait. I want to do that one. Can we change? <laughs> Can I switch real quick? Yeah. Should we just scrap this one? And, yeah. Uh, just uh, here, yeah. delete buttons here somewhere. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Craig listeners. We'll see you then. Bye.
The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>